How many of you actually like taking tests at school? How many of you actually enjoy when you have a test in one of your classes? That is a legit question. All right, how many of you absolutely hate tests in your classes? All right, well, I've got a little bit of an unpopular opinion. You can call me weird if you want, that's totally fine. But when I was actually in school, I really enjoyed taking tests. In fact, in fact, test day was one of my favorites. Class, hold on, let me explain myself, all right? Class on those days that you had tests seemed to fly by. You didn't have any homework. And for me, taking a test was really an opportunity to prove how much I'd learned. Like when I get my test back and I looked at it and I had 100, which happened pretty often, I felt good about myself. And listen, at the end of the nine weeks, at the end of the nine weeks, I was actually proud to bring my report card home to my parents. Like it was something that, that I looked forward to. But listen, all of that changed all of that changed when I started college. You see, despite what your teachers tell you, college is nothing like high school. College is nothing like high school. And during my first semester of college at USF, I figured that out firsthand. You see, my freshman year of college, I had to take Chem 1. At the time, I was pre-med. Don't ask me why I did that. I don't know. But Chemistry was one of the, the course requirements that I had to take in order to, to complete my degree. And so I signed up for an 8 a.m. Chem 1 class that met on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And that class met in a lecture hall with about 400 people, a little bit bigger than, than kind of the room that we're in tonight. And although everyone around me was complaining about how difficult this class was going to be, I was actually like looking forward to it. I thought to myself, like, this is going to be a piece of cake. This isn't going to be that hard. And the first few weeks of class, I got off to a good start. I turned in all my assignments. I got some A's. But then about one month into, into the semester, the first test rolled around. And listen, college tests are nothing like high school tests. The majority of the time when you have a college test, it covers chapters and chapters and chapters of material that most likely your professor didn't actually teach to you. It's material that you're required to, to read and learn about on your own. And so I remember thinking to myself, all right, I've got this. How different, how different can, the, can this really be? And so that morning I walked into the lecture hall, I sat down, I pulled out my calculator and my pencil and I took my very first Chem 1 test. And I remember thinking that as I handed that, that test to my professor, I remember thinking to myself, all right, I got this. This is pretty easy. Unfortunately, all of the other people around me were, were starting to, to talk about how difficult this test was. And if I were smart, I would have started to think, okay, maybe something, something's off. But of course, that, that's too easy. Instead, I was like, ah, they're just not as smart. It's fine, not a big deal. I remember the next day, I got an email that my grade for the test had been posted. And I remember logging into Canvas to check the grade of my very first Chem 1 test. 
And as you can imagine, I did not do as well as, as I thought I would do. In fact, I got a 39. And let me tell you, that was the absolute worst feeling in the world. That was the first test I had ever failed in my entire life. And so I remember pulling out the, the exam key that my professor gave to us, and I remember thinking, like, okay, how did I miss this? Like, how did I think I aced this test and I actually did so bad on it? Do you want to know what the, what the difference was? Little did I, I know, but the professor that I had for Chem 1 was actually known for putting trick questions into the exam. And if you weren't paying attention, if you weren't paying close attention to your math, you'd actually end up picking the wrong answer. And a lot of the questions that I had missed on that test were actually the trick questions that she'd put in there. Even though I thought I had it all figured out, even though I thought I knew what was best, I was completely wrong. You see, tonight we are kicking off a brand new teaching series called After Egypt. And in the book of Exodus, we find a story about the Israelites. The Israelites were God's chosen people. And for 400 years, the Israelites had felt, found themselves in captivity in Egypt. They were beaten, they were worked to death, they lived in terrible living conditions. And, and thankfully, through a series of events, God used a man by the name of Moses to, to convince the Egyptian pharaoh to let the people go. And eventually what happens is Moses and his brother Aaron lead the Israelites out of, of captivity into the wilderness. But what happened once they reached the wilderness? What happened once they reached the wilderness? For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what happened after Egypt. And spoiler alert, this was not an easy time for, for God's people. In fact, this was one of the most challenging seasons of life that they were going to find themselves in. Not only were they in the desert, but they were unsettled and they had no place to call home. But despite all of this, you see God was faithfully providing and leading the Israelites. He was guiding them every step of the way. But unfortunately, what happened is they found themselves in, in a constant state of rebellion in a constant state of turning their back on God and thinking that they knew better. And before they reached the promised land, before they reached their, their final destination, they had to learn some lessons the hard way. And listen, as we look at, at the Israelite story over the next few weeks, my hope is that not only will we learn from their mistakes, but also begin to develop a deeper appreciation and understanding for God's faithfulness in our lives. To begin to develop a, an appreciation for how he's provided for us time and time again. So if you have your Bible or the Bible app, I want you to open up to, to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. And that's where our story picks up tonight. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 1, it says this. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, at least we sat around pots of meat and ate all of the food that we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You see, at the time that that our story picks up tonight, the Israelites had been wandering in the desert for about one month. It had been one month since they were freed from, from captivity in Egypt. And a lot has transpired over this month. God has provided a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, which served as a direction for the people. It served as a guide as they were making their way towards the, the promised land. And day after day after day, they continued this journey towards their final destination. And listen, this was not an easy journey. They were wandering in the hot desert sun. And for many of them, this was the first time they had ever experienced anything like this. They were used to to being in, in Egypt, to having a roof over their head and at least a place to call home. And so not knowing when they were going to arrive at their destination, they, they began to complain. They began to, to grumble at Moses and Aaron. And pretty soon fatigue begins to, to set in. They're hungry. They're tired. They're frustrated. And pretty soon what happens? Hunger turns to, to hangry. Now, how many of you have ever been hangry before? It happens all the time, okay? And you know that that when you're hangry, you're not the nicest person in the entire world. Often you tend to to be grumpy. You're a little irritable. Sometimes you might even even overreact a little bit. Listen, we all know the feeling. We've all experienced this. And this is exactly where the Israelites find themselves at right now. They're hangry. They're tired. They're emotional. They're overwhelmed. And so they begin to to complain and to overreact to to Moses and Aaron. And all of a sudden, they begin to to tell Moses and Aaron, listen, you should have just left us in Egypt. How quickly did they forget how bad that their life was, that they actually wanted to go back to being enslaved. They wanted to go back to, to being in captivity because of how miserable they were. Look in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and to gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So listen, the people are grumbling, they're complaining, but God begins to hear them. He begins to to hear their complaints, and so he provides a solution. But you see, God's solution actually comes in the form of a test. His solution comes in the form of a test, and this test is simple. The test is, will you follow me? Will you follow my instructions? Do you trust me enough to listen to me? And so God, he tells Moses, listen, I'm going to, to rain down bread from heaven. And each morning, the the people are responsible to go out and and collect the bread that they need for that day. They're not to collect any more, and they're not to collect any less. But then he he gives another instruction. 
He says that on the sixth day of the week, they can collect two days worth of bread. That way they have enough bread to get them through the Sabbath so that they wouldn't have, have to work. Look at verse 13. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. But Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Just like he had promised, God provided manna and quail for the Israelites to eat. He knew that they were hungry. He knew that they were tired. And so he provided food for them. And in the evening, quail, which was a type of bird, would come down from heaven. It would land on the ground. And that would be their source of meat. And in the morning, when they would wake up, they would find manna on the ground. This was a type of bread. And so that bread was enough to, to get them through the day. And they had never seen anything like this. They had never seen anything like this. It was literally raining meat and bread from the sky. All right? It, it was an odd picture. I want, you to, I want you to think about it like this. I want you to imagine that you go out in the afternoon during the middle of a Florida rainstorm. Okay? You all know what that looks like. It's raining really hard. The weather's not too great. And I want you to picture that you step out outside in the middle of, of this rainstorm. But instead of rain that's coming down from the sky, it's actually loaves of bread. It's loaves of bread. I want you to imagine how odd that would be. Like that's something that, that we would never imagine happening to us. And for the Israelites, it, it was a similar reaction. They find themselves in this position where there is literally bread coming down from, from heaven. Now, this is not the, the type of bread that you go and you buy at the grocery store. This is not the same type of bread. You see, manna was a very different type of bread. In fact, it was actually like this sweet, sugary substance that when it dried, it looked like flakes. Picture cornflakes, all right? That's kind of what the, the Israelites were given to eat. And so all of a sudden, they find themselves in this situation where there's bread and there's meat that's raining down from heaven. And listen, this was something that the only God could provide. I think we can agree that the circumstance that they're in, it's not, it's not normal. But God had heard their, their complaints. He'd heard their grumblings. And so he provided food for them. And so each morning, it was the people's responsibility to go out and to collect manna in their jars. For bigger families, they were to collect more manna and for smaller families, they were to collect a little bit less. But however, amount, however much they collected, it had to be enough to get them through the day. It had to be enough for them to survive and for them to eat. And when they followed God's instructions, when they followed these explicit instructions that God had given them, he provided for them. But look at in verse 19. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, and it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. 
even though Moses had given the people some, some very specific instructions, some of the people ignored him. And they began to, to hoard the manna. They began to, to take as much as possible. Instead of collecting enough for just one day, they collect enough for two and for three and for four days. And for many of them, I'm sure they're probably thinking, hey, what's the big deal? It's just a, a little bit extra food. Like what's, what's the harm in collecting a little bit more than, than I actually need? But when they began to, to do this, what happened? The food, it began to go bad. It stunk up the entire camp. It, it got maggots and bugs in it. It smelled awful. When the people listened to God, he provided. But when they didn't, things got rough. And listen, I can imagine at this point that Moses is furious. Moses is absolutely furious. Even though God has given him such clear instructions, the Israelites, they just won't listen. And so I want you to hear what, what he says to them in verse 23. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses had commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. So they almost get, get a little bit of a redo. And finally, they begin to, to listen to Moses. And on the sixth day, just as God had instructed, they were to gather two days' worth of manna. They were to gather two days' worth of food so that they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. And what was the significance of not having to work on the Sabbath? You see, the Sabbath was to be observed as a day of rest. It was a day that the people were not supposed to work. They weren't supposed to do anything that required manual labor. And so collecting food back then would have been work. It would have been a task. And so in order to avoid working on the Sabbath, they were, they were to collect food two days in advance. And so they begin to, to obey these instructions. They collect the, the right amount of manna and quail. Some of them even, even cook the manna and cook the quail. That way they have food to eat on for, for two days. And because they followed the instructions, the food didn't spoil. It held. Look in verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. But they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for, for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Listen, there's always that one person in the group who doesn't listen, and who doesn't follow instructions. And you can probably think of who that person is right now. And many times what happens is, is that person, because they don't listen and because they don't follow in instructions, becomes the reason that the entire group gets punished. They become the reason that the entire group is in trouble. And that's exactly what, what happens here. 
a few people thinking that they know better go out on the Sabbath day to collect manna. They go out to collect food for, for their family, and guess what? They find nothing. There's nothing on the ground for, for them to, to collect, just like God had said. And because Moses is their leader, because Moses finds himself in, in a place of authority over these people, he is responsible for answering them, for, for them to God. And so God, who's obviously very frustrated, comes to Moses and he asks, listen, how long are your people going to refuse to keep my commands? How long are, you're gonna, are your people not going to listen to me? And God is extremely frustrated. He's upset. Why? Because he's already done so much to provide for the Israelites. Not only has he rescued them from, from Egypt, he's also parted the Red Sea. He kept them safe when, when Pharaoh's army came after them. And he's also provided for, for every single one of their needs that they have. Needs like food and water and shelter. And despite their bad attitude, despite their grumbling and their complaining, he's been faithful. He's kept his word to them. But they still think they know better. They, th they still think that they know better than God. Look at how the story ends in, in verse 33. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So Moses, he instructs Aaron to, to take a, a jar of manna and to save it. And this manna really became a souvenir for, for the people. It became this visual reminder of how God had been faithful to them when they were hungry and needed food. It became a reminder of how he had provided for them during their time in the wilderness. And the Bible goes on to tell us that, that the Israelites ate manna for 40 years. For 40 years it rained down manna from heaven and that is all the Israelites ate until they reached the, the promised land. Think about eating the, the same thing for 40 years. Eating the, the same exact food for 40 years. You see, the Israelites, they failed God's test. The Israelites failed God's test. They got an F. And listen, they failed because they doubted God's ability to provide for them. Although God had proven himself time and time again, day after day after day, they didn't take God at his word and they thought they knew better. They thought they knew more, more than God did. But I think here's what, what's most interesting about this story. You see, none of this took God by surprise. In fact, when, when God tested the, the Israelites, he knew exactly how they were going to react 
and how they were going to respond. He knew that they were going to hoard the manna and not follow his instructions. He knew that they were going to be disobedient to the instructions that he had given to them. And so if God knew how they were going to respond, if God knew that they weren't going to listen, why did he test them anyways? You see, God tested the the Israelites to reveal how much they trusted him. And because of their response, because of their disobedience, it was clear that they didn't trust him completely. You see, students, testing reveals our level of trust in God. Let me say that again. Testing reveals our level of trust in God. Just like a a test at school reveals your level of understanding of the curriculum, a spiritual test, it reveals your level of faith in God. A spiritual test pushes us outside of our comfort zone, revealing our character. And spiritual tests have the goal of developing perseverance and maturity within our relationship with the Lord. And although our reaction to to a spiritual test might not come as a surprise to God, just like the, the reaction of the Israelites did not come as a surprise to God, it's an indicator to us of where we're at in our faith. It's an indicator to us of where we're at in our faith. I want you to to listen to how James says it in James chapter 1. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, spiritual tests, they reveal our level of trust in God. But, but what are some, some spiritual tests? Like, how are, how are we tested? You know, I think that there's several ways that, that we are, are often tested when it comes to our faith. Number one, we're, we're tested through, through trials. Trials are difficult circumstances or seasons that we face in life. And at one point or another, all of us are going to, to face a trial in our life. And for many of us, those situations and experiences are going to look different. But unfortunately, what what happens is that when we go through a trial, oftentimes the first thing that we think to ourselves is, why did God cause this to happen to me? Like, why did God cause this horrible event in my life to to happen to me? Why do I have to go through this? Listen, I, I want you to hear me say, bad things happen as a result of sin and the brokenness that that we live in in our world. God doesn't cause bad things to to happen to us, but God does allow trials in our life. And he allows trials in order to develop our faith. Not only are we tested through through trials, but we're also tested through, through decisions we have to make. You see, life is filled with decisions and choices. And every day, you have a choice as to whether to be obedient or to be disobedient in your relationship with the Lord. When, when faced with, with a choice, you have the, the decision to make the right choice or, or the wrong choice. 
And the choice you make often reveals your, your level of trust in God. The choice you make is often an indicator of what's going on on the inside and how much faith you actually have in the Lord. A final way that I think we are often tested is through, through changes that, that we experience in life. You know, maybe you're here tonight and you've found yourself in a season of change. There's been some sort of change within your family, within your friend group. Maybe there's even been some sort of, of change at, at school. And, and as you've walked through this change, you've, you've had the, the temptation to begin to think that, that you've got to figure it out on your own. You're not too sure what, what to do next. You're not too sure how to handle it. And you kind of feel like you're out on an island. You feel like God's not there, that he's not in the midst of whatever change it is that, that you're walking through. Students, change is always going to be a part of your life. But we have the choice to, to run from it or to embrace it. We can try to, to handle it on our own by, by ignoring God. Or instead, we can ask God to, to begin to guide and direct our steps. So as we wrap up tonight, I want you to consider this testing. When you face some sort of challenge or obstacle in your life, how do you tend to react? You know, I think if many of us are, are honest, we often react just like the, the Israelites did. Although God has shown up time and time again in our life, although he's been faithful to provide, there's still some piece of us that doesn't completely trust him. There's still some piece of us that thinks, is God really going to come through? Is he really going to, to be there for me this time? And we think we know what's best for ourselves. We think we've got the solutions to, to our problems. I want to encourage you with this tonight. Students, God knows you better than you know yourself. And I know that that's hard to believe sometimes because we think we've got life figured out. We think we can handle things on our own and no one can tell us otherwise. But listen, God knows you better than you know yourself because he's the one that created you. He's the one that designed you to think the way that you think. He's the one that designed you to, to react the way that you react. And he knows you better than you even know yourself. Not only does he know that the big details of your life, he also knows the, the small details. And the God who provided food for the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert is the same God who promises to be faithful to us even now. He's the same God that promises to be faithful no matter what season of life we find ourselves in. And when we experience some sort of spiritual test, when we experience a, a trial, when we experience a difficult situation, when we experience some sort of change, God wants to know, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight that no matter what 
season of life we find ourselves in, no matter what circumstance that we're walking through, that you have promised to be faithful to us. And as we've seen in your word, God, you provided manna and quail for the Israelites when they needed it most. You provided for for their every need. And that same promise you made to them back then, you also make to us now. That no matter what we're walking through in life, no matter what we're facing, you are faithful. And that promise remains the same. And so, Father, as we begin to to sing tonight, as we begin to, to sing about your faithfulness, I pray that you will begin to remind us of all the times that you've been faithful of all the times that that you followed through on on what you said. And God, maybe if there's some students in here who are doubting your faithfulness tonight, that you will remind them how much that you love them and how much you keep your promise to them. It's in your name that we pray, amen.